Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Joining us now is a former U.S. ambassador to the EU. He's Anthony Gardner. Ambassador, when you look at everything that's happened over the last 72 hours, what does this mean for Brexit? Well, first of all, it's unprecedented for a sitting president of the United States during a state visit to attack an ally and do it so publicly and endorse one of her rivals for that position. It's unprecedented and it's outrageous. The second point that's important is that the comments were just, uh, you know, not on the mark. A lot of U.S. businesses, as you know and as your viewers would know, have invested in the U.K. as a gateway to Europe, just like the Japanese have. So, in fact, many of those businesses want U.K. regulations to remain aligned with those of the EU. The second point that's important is that a lot of the regulations that the U.S. complains about and that the President and Wilbur Ross wanted the U.K. to ditch are those agricultural regulations that impede U.S. exporters from selling GMO uh, products and hormone-treated beef and so on. Those things aren't going to change. But, Ambassador, change. I guess my, what I was trying to uh, get in, in my question is, you know, the President of the United States shows up saying maybe it's Boris Johnson that should be Prime Minister. Does the U.K. rally for the Prime Minister? Does it actually make her stronger? I think they probably will. We've seen a lot of reactions so far, mostly from the Labour Party, but I think we'll see a lot of reactions as well from the Tories, saying it's just not appropriate for a president to be interfering in UK politics in this way. Ambassador, probably we all want to go to Venice and hide in the, Pe the Peggy Guggenheim collection today where you've provided leadership. That would be a good place to get out of this storm. You are one of the singular American voices. Your cross-section of law and diplomacy as well in this cacophony that we see here. How does Washington extract itself to a, as President Obama would say, and I would suggest President Trump as well, to a better place out of the endless and ceaseless noise that we have? What do Republicans on the Hill have to do? What do Democrats have to do? What do these institutions have to do? Well, that's a great question, and there is no clear answer to it. But this is my answer to your question. Please. I think U.S. business does have to speak up. Now, this is not a partisan issue. This is important. It is not a partisan issue to, to ask the question, how is any of this advancing U.S. interests, particularly U.S. business interests? When we withdraw from international trade, when the EU sets its standards globally, including in agriculture on data protection right. otherwise, and we're not doing okay. that, how does it advance U.S. interests? Two days after Brexit, Francine and I were still uh, trying to get through the debris of that, that evening and into the next morning. I remember you UBS purchased a property or went from lease to ownership or whatever on the River Thames. We're going to hear from James Dimon today in his J.P. Morgan earnings. What does someone like Jamie Dimon have to say to suggest to President Trump this behavior, this tabloid is not in the best interest of all? What does Jamie have to do? Well, the basic point is remember who your allies are and who your enemies are. Let's stop confusing the two. We need to work with our allies, including the European Union, who are natural partners in advancing our interests, particularly on trade and on the business interests who your viewers are particularly interested in. That means, for example, identifying the issues where the president is correctly identified as being problematic. Mm -hmm. IP theft, 
market access to various countries, not only China. We should be working with the EU, as we have been in the past, on those issues rather than being at war with the EU on cars and on aluminum and on steel. That's the basic point. Right, but Ambassador, this helps with his popularity, right? We're, we're close to the midterm elections, so actually America going at it alone, a strongman president that can get a deal with China sounds better than going through allies in Europe and trying to figure out what we do with IP. Yes, but that's short-term thinking. I think businesses should be in the business of midterm and long-term thinking as well. Um, and we will soon see the consequences of a, tr a potentially a trillion dollar trade war on U.S. exporters. A lot of people are assuming that this is just negotiating tactics, right? The president knows what he's doing. He's a good negotiator, successful businessman. It'll all sort itself out. Be careful about that kind of, you know, thinking because I'm, I don't see a strategy behind this. Businesses need to warn this president. Isabel, what's what pressed in the markets? Do, do markets need to warn President Trump? I think they do, and I, th <clears throat> I think they are. Uh, and in fact, we're, I'm sure again we're, we're going to hear in the earnings call some 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 stronger language from uh, from the corporate world that that came out clearly from the, the Fed minutes that were published uh, last week. The, the businesses are beginning to to speak, and uh, as I was saying earlier, the, the the markets you know are pricing in much higher uh, risk premium in every asset class under the sun than they did last year. Why is that? It's in large part because of all this uncertainty that uh, that uh, the U.S. So policies have been creating. In your government studies at Harvard and then on to Oxford and the Columbia Law, all the, the track of Anthony Gardner, what I find so important here is you know in event after event the unpredictable happens. Are we set up right now for the unpredictabilities that we heard financially in 1998 or what we saw in 1989 out of the Soviet Union? Are we at that instability within Europe right now? Well, we're sending a lot of negative signals, and signals, communication, and words matter. Even if all of this is sorted out, we are sending dangerous signals about how the president is at least ambivalent about our alliances, NATO and the EU. That's dangerous. Look, look at historical historical evidence. Are the Baltic states at risk here? I mean, we're talking about Georgia and the rest of it tangential in Ukraine. Are the Baltic states at risk? I think they feel that they're at risk, and it empowers those who believe that those frontline states actually may not be defended at a time of need. Yeah. Let's look at historical you know, experience. In 1914, when both sides mobilize, there comes a point right. when it's very hard to withdraw. I'm talking about the trade war here. We are at an inflection point. Very good. Let's come back. Ambassador Gardner with us, and we will continue. And, of course, Isabella Mateus Lago as well from BlackRock. This wonderful conversation uh, to get the day started in London. Wayne is the guy in the trenches who takes all the different copy from the reporters and makes it ready for Bloomberg News, Bloomberg.com, <coughs> and of course for our many sources that use us worldwide. We've dragged him away. He's, he's working his phone here, Lisa. It's embarrassing. His phone looks like he dropped it four times in a bar last night. But you're glued to the phone with nine reporters right now. What are the people in Checkers saying? <laughs> it's pretty quiet up there, you know. He's he he played down the Sun interview when he when he met with May. He said they right. have a very very strong relationship. May was uh, well, we okay. couldn't we couldn't hear her very well for one thing, but she 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 seemed like 
Yeah, they seem to be getting along okay. To help our audience, you're based in London or Washington? I'm based in Washington. You're based yeah, in Washington. I'm the White House editor, Perfect. based in Washington, so just over here. For there's the... the Washington Post and the New York Times yep. and Bloomberg News. And I love two days this week. Mike Allen at Axios led twice with Bloomberg copy. You know, Everybody's nice. grinding it out. But the tabloid thing, I mean, you're a pro-journalist. I'm just pretending. The, the bottom line, Alex, is the tabloid tone in the United Kingdom is way different than Washington and, frankly, way different than Mr. Murdoch's New York Post as well. Did, yeah. What did you think of the, the, the presentation of the interview by The Sun? Uh, I, you know, I th- actually enjoyed it reading. As a, as a reader, I found it a pretty pleasurable experience. It just kept going on and on and giving and giving more and more. Now, they, they do some stuff on their website with ads and things that are a little distracting. And, uh, and, but, I, but I did like the way they organized it. They sort of broke it up into different sections with pictures. And, it, you know, he, he covered a lot of ground with them. You didn't look at page <laughs> three, right? I didn't look Maybe at page three. Maybe I didn't get three. that far. <laughs> no, Bowden, one of my, Bona, Lisa, one of my producers, Bowden, ripped out. I go, where's page three? And he goes, Tom, we ripped it out. And I said, why? He said, shut up, Tom. Just go on radio. Lisa, pick I it up it. here. <laughs> I love I love the uh, the U.S. analysis of the sun. There were a lot of nice pictures. Uh, no, but Alex, I do want to get a sense of the broader implications here of President Trump going after Theresa May and, frankly, showing a lot of affection toward Bar- Boris Johnson um, and sort of saying if you know that the Brexit deal that Theresa May is putting out there isn't what the U.S. is talking about or isn't what the, the U.K. Uh, isn't what the U.K. population voted for, and the U.S. could potentially uh, cut its trade uh, some of its trade relationships or, or deals. Why, why is this significant, uh, not only for Britain, but just in terms of uh, President Trump's sentiment right now? Short answer, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, like, then. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody in the UK is very exercised about this interview. Oh, my gosh, he cut Theresa May's knees out from underneath her. I, it's probably helpful for her. I mean, he's not very popular in the UK. He's not very popular in the U.S., uh, if he's attacking the prime minister, I think that probably makes a lot of Britons sympathetic wait, wait. toward her position. Hold on one second. This is actually really important. We need to highlight this. You're saying that by President Trump trying to cut down uh, UK Prime Minister Theresa May, he is actually giving her more clout with the population and could potentially give her more power heading into uh, Brexit negotiations. I think he could help her. And I, I have a feeling she has a uh, has her finger closer to the pulse of what uh, what Britons want in a Brexit deal than he does. When we look at Kevin Cirilli coming here, who's traveled with the president since the very beginning, way you know when nobody thought he would be, even his supporters didn't think he'd become a president. In the grind that you're in, Alex Wayne, every day, how has the president changed in the last year? And the, in the the day to day grind, what do you observe? Is he the same as he was a year ago, mm. or have there been changes? Man, that's deep. Um, <laughs> we only do this on Friday. Uh, also, I went to a Croatian bar last night, so that's okay. Seriously, that's deep, has he changed? Yeah, I think his his relationship with the press has gotten more complex, uh, and I think I think that this Annapolis shooting recently kind of put a put a sort of highlighted that um, he you know he's always 
demonized us in, in front of his supporters and then dealt with us on the back end. But, uh, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's been spending a lot of time with us lately on all of these foreign trips. Um, he's been, there's been, a, there's been a lot of and access to the It was a generous, lengthy press conference yesterday. It was. He now, he didn't spoke, give us much notice about the press conference no, but yesterday. He, but quickly here, he spoke nicely to Margaret Tolev as well, which he did. I thought was stunning. He did. He did. He, he's, he's, uh, he seems, he, he's developed a relationship with Margaret, with Jennifer Jacobs, with some yeah. of our other reporters. Um, so, you know, I think he's, uh, even when he was ripping us at his rallies, I thought it was mostly for show. It's, it's really become quite clear. Lisa and I want you to stay here, but your entourage is out through the window of our (laughs) London studios saying Mr. Wayne has to go back to his real job. Alex Wayne, thank you so much, folks. It's just a window into our lead editor of our Brexit team. We drive forward our conversation on Bloomberg surveillance as we did it with Ambassador Gardner in the last hour with another ambassador from the United Kingdom and their former ambassador to the United States, also serving as ambassador to France and to Turkey as well. Peter Westmacott joining us this morning. Ambassador, thank you so much for finding time on this just exceptionally unique day as well. There is a moment in the John Adams television series where the acclaimed actor Paul Giamatti as John Adams goes in to meet the king after the revolution. Stunning scene, at least for ugly Americans like me. He backs out of the room. Now, I'm assuming the president will not back out of the room today with the queen when they have tea. But after what we've seen in this tabloid, how will the queen of England greet this president of the United States? The Queen has a lot of experience of dealing with visiting statesmen. She's met an awful lot of presidents, both from the United States and elsewhere. My hunch, from my own experience, is that this will be super correct. Uh, It will be cordial. Uh, There will be conversation about relatively unpolitical issues. Mm. I would be surprised if Her Majesty asks about, you know, the Sun editorial and so on, but, but who knows? So I think... This is a meeting which is which is largely a courtesy tea at the Castle of Windsor. Uh, give great pleasure to the First Lady. I'm sure it'll give great pleasure to the President. But this is not a conversation, I don't think, which is likely to go into the substance in any great depth. Will the nation rally around the Prime Minister after what we've seen here? Will Labour, Tory, will people <clears throat> not attach to politics? Will they rally around the Prime Minister? Well, I think there's a sense that this is a pretty unpleasant payback to the Prime Minister who's gone out of her way to give Donald Trump almost uh, in all the detail an equivalent of a state visit without it being a state visit. Red carpet, Blenheim Palace, tea with the Queen, all the other stuff which has been laid on. And this is a bit of a kick in the teeth, frankly, to the Prime Minister. I don't know what it's designed to achieve. I noticed that the President was not kind of ranting. He was calm and deliberate while he was giving that interview. Was it something he he had been encouraged to do in order to strengthen the hard Brexiteers here in British domestic politics? Was it something which he decided to do because it was the opposite of what President Obama had done, which was to come to London and support um, not doing Brexit? It, uh, at David Cameron's request, and he decided he would come to London um, and take the opposite view. Mind you, this time undermining the Prime Minister mm-hmm. of the country, not supporting the Prime Minister of the country. Uh, I do not know, but I think we are in we are in different territory, and it's not helpful to the Prime Minister's position. And there could be some sort of a backlash, saying, you know what, whether we agree or whether we don't agree with what she's trying to do, this is not fair. Right, but uh, is she also weakened by it? 
I'm not sure that I can, I don't have a view on that yet. I think we wait to see. Initially, I think she's a bit weakened because what it does is point out the contradictions which we all know are unresolved within the government's position on how to handle Brexit. When President Trump says bilateral trade deal with the United States is off, I think he's a little out of date because he's looking at the time when the Brexit package appeared to be one which excluded the right for the UK to have any bilateral free trade agreements. The Prime Minister has since been in Parliament saying, actually, it doesn't. We can negotiate those free trade agreements. So whether she's weakened or not, I don't know. But I don't think this helps the relationship and the perception of Donald Trump here in the United Kingdom. Okay, is it because Donald Trump actually sees parallels between Brexit and his own election? Is that why he's weighing in or is it because he's simply friends with Boris Johnson? I think in one sense we're seeing his preference for bilateral deals. He doesn't like multilateral, doesn't like NATO, EU, all those countries coming together. And he thought the answer was a deal between himself and and the UK, and he saw that perhaps uh, disappearing. I think that's part of it. The Boris Johnson thing puzzles me because Boris Johnson was one of the British politicians who was rudest about Donald Trump during the campaign. Since then, he's been flattering him, saying how marvelous he is. So obviously something has changed in that relationship. Beyond that, does he really think Boris Johnson can become prime minister? I doubt it. Uh, We want to come back and continue this discussion, but you are one of the few people alive today that understand the special relationship of the United Kingdom and France where you served and the United States where you served. This triangle of three centuries of, of relationship is really at risk here. How do we extricate ourselves from this moment to get back to what the United Kingdom, France, and America once had? It's an extraordinarily good question. When I was in Paris, there was an element of the bilateral relationship being special and entente cordiale, and some British politicians um, wanted to focus exclusively on the United States. The French saw it a bit more triangular. My own view was that with Britain and France, the only two serious European powers in defense and intelligence and so on, that it was important for all three of us to work together. And when you look at the moment when we countries of the leaders of the free world, if you like, have intervened militarily, Often the three of us have been in there, Iraq being a great exception, of course, back in 2003. So getting this relationship working again, very important. I think President Emmanuel Macron has done a very good job on that. He has stood up to Donald Trump. He has also lavished praise on him. He's had him to Paris for the Bastille Day celebrations. But he's also uh, disagreed with him when he's needed to do so. Theresa May has done so because there have been numerous occasions when British and French views on international affairs have been Mm -hmm. contradicted or even undermined by President Trump. So we have to get that relationship back. It's a very good point you make. Mm -hmm. How we do it remains to be seen. Peter Westmacott, thank you so much. He's, of course, a former UK ambassador to the US. We need now to go to the White House in our Kevin Cirilli. Uh, Kevin, a press conference with uh, a certain level of joviality. I, have you ever seen him say, I'm not going to take a question from CNN. Was that a first or is that business as usual for you animals that cover the president? Business as usual. Business as usual. Uh, Look, and and obviously CNN, we should know our our intrepid colleagues at CNN do uh, great work over there. Uh, But but I want to make a point here because it's fascinating to, to, to note that after that black tie affair yesterday, President Trump, as he left that that dinner with UK Prime Minister Theresa May, the Rupert Murdoch owned the Sun published this uh, this interview, uh, and as it was made public, flash forward to this morning in London, 
uh, when the president says uh, that he apologized to the U.K. prime minister, yeah. and she brushed it off and said, quote-unquote, this is just the press. So it, it was an interesting display and an illustration of how the special relationship between the U.S. and the U.K. has evolved in the Trump era. Right. I would also note that, more importantly, from a policy standpoint, U.K. Prime Minister Theresa May saying that President Trump is going into the July 16th meeting with President Putin in Helsinki from a, quote-unquote, position of strength and a unified NATO. The president saying that he secured $34 billion in additional funding to NATO. Oh, within that, Kevin, is the preparation, preparation for what you and I will see Monday in Helsinki. Tell us what's different about the preparation for this summit from any other big meeting that President Trump would have, or certainly the preparation for the Singapore summit. What's different and how he's preparing? The expectations. The president said point blank that he doesn't have high expectations, that he's, he, the administration is really going out of its way to manage expectations with this uh, President Trump and President Putin meeting. The president saying that he barely knows President Putin, that he's only met with him uh, two, two and a half times, his work, his counting. I don't know how you meet someone a half time. But, uh, and, and I think that from, a, from an agenda standpoint, more importantly, uh, senior administration officials, as well as the president, saying that the main topics of conversation will be uh, disarmament, uh, Ukraine, uh, Syria, and yes, election meddling. On the issue of Crimea, particularly from an energy sector standpoint, Tom, the president did not forecast at all during this press conference when he was repeatedly asked what his policy would be or how he or what outcome even he is hoping to articulate to President Putin with regard to Crimea. Uh, Kevin Cirilli, uh, one topic that did not get mentioned, but that could be uh, described as uh, sort of uh, in the center of uh, Syria and Crimea, as well as uh, what is going on inside the European Union and NATO, and that is Turkey. And uh, I'm wondering yeah. if there's any uh, thought that you've, or any, based on your conversations, whether anyone has uh, been talking about what is happening in Turkey. You have Turkish uh, government bond yields, 10-year yields uh, near 7 percent. Uh, you have uh, the Turkish lira trading at a record low against the U.S. dollar. And at the same time, Turkey's looking to buy uh, Russian missile systems and U.S. made F-35 joint strike fighters. Yes. And I think that that is so from a broader context, you're, you're correct. There has been no direct connection of, of Turkey in, in the last week or, or comments on Turkey, mostly the administration publicly forecasting uh, remarks regarding Ukraine and Crimea. But with regards to Turkey in particular, uh, I think this is where the NATO negotiations really become interesting, particularly with the president asserting that he has been able to bolster NATO funding. That, according to Prime Minister May, is something that gives the president an upper hand in the Putin-Trump meeting or summit call, which one uh, in Helsinki. I would quickly note, and Tom, we talk about this every morning, about how you know we make light of it, but, but just from the, from the moment that we're in, if you look at the names and how President Trump is presenting himself, Rupert Murdoch's own the son. Uh, this, was, this is President Trump embracing the triangulation of presenting himself right. on the European stage of Niall Farage, Steve Bannon, and senior economic advisor Peter Navarro. Uh, Kevin Cirilli, please stay with us. We're now seeing the cars 
uh, at Checkers on a very browned grass field. Uh, the heat here, folks, has been really stunning. Uh, all of the parks of London are brown, 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 uh, and dry, dry, dry. And the helicopter waiting to take the president. Of course, tea scheduled at Windsor uh, today. Uh, Kevin, w- within the dance here is immigration, and that is something that clearly ties every modern nation together. Review for our global audience and our American audience how the president is doing in the polls. I have told many people this week in London that when the president mentions his beliefs on immigration, it's not a small, small, tiny minority interest. How is he doing in the polls? The base of the Republican Party is very much with him. He remains incredibly popular amongst Republicans. Congress remains incredibly unpopular. Uh, and, and I would note for the global audience, there was a fascinating scene earlier this week for President Trump really taking head-on German Chancellor Angela Merkel. That plays incredibly well to independent voters, particularly when he's arguing uh, that other countries ought to be footing the bill in NATO. Now, there is rightful criticism of the president's mathematical assertion uh, of that, uh, and, and, and people can have that policy debate. But from a pure political standpoint, not a policy standpoint, that moment where the president is speaking on behalf of American taxpayers, it, it, that plays well, according to the political advisors that I speak with here in Washington on both sides of the aisle, uh, to independent voters in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Kevin Shirley, thank you so much. Really look forward to seeing you uh, in Helsinki here in the next 12 to uh, 24 hours. Kevin Cerulli is our chief Washington correspondent. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.